Egyptian dance is connected with awakening your source of creative power, awakening your resilience, awakening your strength, knowing who you are, who am I, what do I want? Welcome to Ballet Dance Live podcast with weekly portion of stories, tips and dance inspiration. My name is Jana Komarnitska, I'm your host and I invite you to explore all nuances of Ballet Dance Live together with me and our amazing guests. Let's start! Welcome to Baladance Live podcast, a new episode of this week. Guys, you are absolutely amazing. <laughs> Since uh, last week, then I announced that we are finally appearing on uh, official Apple charts. Uh, you left even more ratings and reviews, and thank you so much. We already jumped 200 positions higher in the US uh, Apple uh, podcast chart and now we're actually in the uh, thousand of best uh, podcast in performing arts category which may sound like oh thousand like that's huge that's like nothing but in fact it's a lot because you have no idea how many podcasts are out there there may be not many dance related or ballet dance related but there are a lot of podcast related to performing arts and having our podcast already appearing in the charts it's huge but having it within first thousand it's amazing and thank you so much for supporting and rating and we even got a new review that came from Jelly Tree from USA titled Wonderful and Informational saying I really love this podcast. I can't recommend it enough to my dance friends. It's entertaining, informational and provides the chance to see all facets into belly dance that can't be found in a workshop. Big props and love to Yana. Thank you so much for leaving the review and rating. It really makes a huge difference and helps to bring awareness to a bigger audience about this podcast and about ballet dance in general. And thank you also for even simply recommending to your dance friends. I really appreciate and one of my goals for upcoming year is to make sure all ballet dancers know about this resource because it's really cool. It's not even about my own project. I just sincerely believe that all our guests share so much valuable information and it's available for free uh, for all dancers to listen to to get enriched and inspired and educated a little bit more on different subjects of ballet dance so it's a really great tool that's why i'm so passionate in trying to spread awareness about it and thank you thank you for helping me also uh, thank you for supporting podcast via patreon <laughs> i know i didn't announce i uh, didn't do an official announcement properly on the uh, podcast. Uh, I only did it uh, on uh, some social media. But yes, I have started a Patreon page and uh, there are different options on how you can contribute and support to the podcast. If you just simply want to contribute and give a little support, extra support to the podcast, there is an option for that. If you want more dancing in your life, I also offer a bunch of different other bonuses there, like weekly uh, ballet dance drills of technique, 20 minutes each uh, 
Asia, uh, new breakdown of choreographies every month, and India, even individual feedback. So if you're working on some choreography and you need an outside eye, I'm available there to give individual personal feedback for your work, or if you just want the feedback for your dance video, even if it's not your choreography, there is an option for that too, including a bunch of other little bonuses. So if you haven't seen it yet, uh, check it at patreon.com slash yanadance. I also add link to the show notes so you can uh, take a look and see all uh, different options there. But speaking of the topics that are often not discussed in the workshop as our reviewer of the week, I mentioned in her review in the podcast, today's episode will be exactly about that kind of things. And uh, I absolutely love conversations and we go not even about some technical aspects of the dance, like uh, musicality or how to be a better performer or what's going on in the dance scene, which is very important and cool and fun to discuss too. But sometimes we get to those conversations that go deeper and beyond that. And this is one of them. I already marked it as releasing again, although I listened several times, not only while recording interview, but also while editing. And it still has so much into it. And uh, our today's guest, Joanna Sahira, she in general is so passionate about sharing her knowledge and experience in the topics that are rarely discussed in the workshops. She has brilliant uh, career. After almost a decade of life in Korea and Egypt, uh, presenting her show on a daily basis with her own orchestra, she has created a style that unites East and West. It's like the best of Egypt and the best of Western world together. And she put it not only in her performance, but in her unique teaching uh, methods too. She has studied with the legends of Oriental, uh, Egyptian Oriental dance, such as uh, Shukri Muhammad, Suhair Zaki, Nagwa Puat, uh, Aza Sharif, Mona El Said, and this is just to name few. She also studied and worked as a choreographer and teaching assistant with Mahmoud Rader, the legend of Egyptian uh, folklore dance and part of the history of this art form. Joanna has uh, written numerous articles for different newspapers, magazines, websites such as the Elephant Journal and Zaharit magazine, as well as published two books so far, The Secrets of Egypt, Dance, Life and Beyond, and behind the curtain, while also currently working on several more books that she'll talk about in this interview too. Along with that, she has created messages from the womb and video notes for dancers available at her YouTube channel, and currently working on presenting and launching her new revisited online dance school, offering a wide range of very interesting courses. And this is something that I started already uh, mentioning while introducing her, but her courses, they have very unique and interesting spin on all subjects. It's, this is not a typical ballet dance courses about technique or choreography or even history or lecture and something style. It's like, have you ever been annoyed then some teachers were answering your questions like, oh, this, this topic or this question or this subject or skill, they, this cannot be taught. This comes just from experience. So Joanna actually goes and tries to uncover and 
teach those topics that are not something easy to teach actually so i really highly encourage you to check uh, already courses that are available even right now on her uh, website and soon she's launching a new website and a bunch of new uh, courses as a part of her online dance school so keep an eye on that and i'm absolutely positive and sure you will love this conversation so again don't forget after listening send a quick thank you to our guest for sharing their knowledge inspiration and uh, time with you and just before we dive into the actual interview i also want to give a quick thank you to our supporters of this podcast ballet dance evolution Join Jelena's Ballet Dance Evolution 10-year anniversary celebration, workshops, Hafla and Best of BDE show featuring stars Sharon Kihara, Kaeshi, Kader, Jelena and more. August 20-25 in Los Angeles, California. Also, BDE has opened auditions for their performance in Buenos Aires, Argentina this October. Auditions close September 3rd. Visit BalladanceEvolution.com for more details. Hello, Joanna. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. <laughs> Hello to you too, and thank you for the invitation. It's uh, always a pleasure to talk about Egyptian dance, as you can imagine. I really love it's a subject that I've fallen in love with a long time ago and I'm more in love with it today than I was when I started so it, it's really really a pleasure to you know to talk about it in any way mm. uh, honestly so it's my pleasure to be here thank you uh, that's so true and uh, um, we are very excited to hear more about uh, your dance journey and your experience but to start with that uh, do you remember seeing ballet dance for the very, very first time? Do you remember that moment or that thought, oh, I want to go and study ballet dance or anything that captured your attention for the very first time? Yeah, you know, this is one of the peculiar things about my path is that unlike many other dancers I know, I didn't grow up fascinated with Egypt or Egyptian dance. I didn't see a specific dancer I fell in love with. I didn't have any moment when I said, oh my God, this is what I want to do. You know, there was no previous warning that I would even feel interested in this subject. This is the strangest thing. So I've danced all my life, but in a completely different uh, spectrum, which is classical ballet and all other kinds of dances, but never Egyptian dance and never with someone specific that I've watched and said, this is it, this is what I want to do. The first contact I had with Egyptian dance was once more very unintentional, so I didn't search for it. It was an international dance festival in the north of Portugal, where I'm from, and there were many dance styles, so this was not an Egyptian dance uh, event. And... Um, me and my group of friend, um, a friends, a group of friends that I was with, we decided to go jumping from tent to tent. And we tried a little bit of tango. We tried a little bit of flamenco, you know. And there was a tent where something strange was going on. And I say strange because at the time I was so ignorant about it that for me that was strange. I didn't even know what Egyptian music sounded like. That's how distant I was from this world, you know. So we listened to the music and we checked it out. 
And this was my official first contact with Egyptian dance, a circle of people who didn't know Egyptian dance, improvising on Egyptian music with a beautiful German teacher called Priska Diedrich, which I can say, yes, she was my first reference, but I didn't see her perform. You know, she was just coordinating this circle of people who were moving flowing, flowing, you know, freely with the music. So it was not a class. It was not a performance. My first sensation was of recognizing this music from somewhere, although I didn't know what it was and I didn't search for it. There was a familiar thing about it. And I just, you know, joined the group with my friends and we improvised like everybody else without knowing what we were doing. And at the end of the night, I was totally in love with the music without knowing still what was that. So the other day I went to the teacher and asked her, you know, approached her and said, hi, I was, you know, with you and your group of students or, you know, participants last night. And I fell in love with that. What were you doing? And this was the beginning of my nonstop obsessive love, passion for Egyptian dance. So it was not, as I told you, someone that I saw performing. It was not a movie. It was not, you know, like happens nowadays. You know, I have so many dancers saying, oh, my God, I saw you on YouTube and I fell in love with Egyptian dance. Mm -hmm. I I didn't have that, you know. So, yeah, there was no reference. There was nothing. It was just this, you know, occasion where I bumped into the music and I fell in love. And once I started, um, I never stopped. So this was very, um, very strange also because I came from knowing nothing about Egyptian dance and having no reference to wanting to know everything right now, right now. So I was very, very fast in getting myself. I mean, after a few months uh, of knowing Priska and having this moment, I was already in Egypt researching by myself. So you can see how fast this was and how compulsive this passion was for me. You know, it was like, like finding myself, finding myself through the music. It was like a memory from the past coming. And I say, this is where I I have to go. I don't know why, but this is where I have to go. What was your life (laughs) plan before you met ballet dance? (laughs) Oh, it was very different, very different because at the time... I was studying to be an actress. So I was in the conservatoire, in the National Conservatoire, which is a big deal in my country. You know, it's like the highest institution for actors, for cinema and Mm -hmm. theater. So I was going to be a cinema and theater actress. (laughs) I was studying to be an actress. And this group of friends that I mentioned, they were all actors. They were not dancers either. They were from my Mm -hmm. conservatoire course. So when this happened, when this first unexpected meeting with Egyptian dance happened, I thought I was sure, sure, um, I was going to be an actress. I was already on television doing a soap opera, (laughs) you know, and I was doing theater already professionally. And everybody around me, including myself, thought acting is my is my thing. I was really good at it and I was really into it and I was receiving the best education I could have for it. And I was already getting into the market, you know, so everything indicated that I was going to be an actress 
And without noticing, I was drawn, you know, it's like, I know this may sound a little woo-woo, but it's true. It's, it was exactly how it happened. Mm-hmm. It, rationally, I said, I'm going to be an actress and Egyptian dance is something that I just happened to fall in love with. And it's going to be a hobby, although a very obsessive one. <laughs> but in reality, as time passed, I was spending more and more and more time immersed in Egyptian dance history, dance politics, everything around Egyptian dance, because what made me fall in love with Egyptian dance was not only the dance itself, Mm -hmm. was the world that surrounds Egyptian dance, something that most students don't even wonder. And it's it's a pity because it's so interesting. When you really get into Egyptian dance, you're not only getting into a set of movements or choreographies, you're getting into a very ancient history, very complex, multi-layered country. You're getting into a dance that is going against the the current on so many levels, not only in Egypt, but around the world. So it's a really fascinating world outside of the dance steps and the choreographies. So I really thought this is going to be like a parallel passion, but reality was my time was being consumed more and more and more by Egyptian dance than by acting. So gradually, without noticing and without making a conscious decision, so I never decided I'm I'm quitting acting and I'm going to go for Egyptian dance. Never. I always said, no, no, I'm an actress. I'm an actress who has been trained as a dancer from the age of five years old. So I've always danced. See, also, I never saw dance as a job because I've always danced and I've always studied dance. So Mm -hmm. it was not something that I saw outside of myself, if that makes sense. You know, dance is part of me. It has always been. You know, I started classical ballet at five years old. I already danced before that. So you don't even separate yourself from dancing. It's something that is, you know, it's it's like drinking water. You know, you don't think this is what I'm going to do. No, this is what you do naturally. But in terms of profession, I was dragged into it. I didn't decide to go for it. I was really drawn. And when I noticed I was already, you know, deciding to move to Egypt and already starting to organize workshops in Portugal, because I traveled to Egypt many times by myself before I moved. From the moment I got interested, I met another teacher, Shokri Mohammed, who was very important for me while I was studying acting in Madrid. So that same year, I went with a scholarship to study acting to the conservatoire in Spain. And I studied Egyptian dance with Shokri Mohammed, a teacher who had a beautiful school in Madrid. And from that point, you know, as I said, everything happened so fast. And I spent so much time in Egypt researching and studying and traveling and watching all kinds of dances, you know, from the lowest social background to the five stars, uh, Luxor. I went to Luxor to look at uh, Saidi and Tahti by myself, you know, which is kind of crazy. But I, I did it out of curiosity, out of passion, never with the sense that this is what I'm going to do for my life. Never. Strangely enough, I, it was not in my mind. I was just so curious and so in love. And there was this voice calling me saying, just go, you know, just do it, just go, 
You don't have to know why. You just go and discover and see mm -hmm. and learn. And along the way, you will know why. You know, so this is how it happened for me. It was very, um, as I said, very peculiar. It was never a decision, um, never, because, you know, in my family, in my country, although we're not so prejudice filled against Egyptian dance, but this is not the kind of profession you usually go for. It's very unusual, you know, in your country, it must be similar. It's similar everywhere, everywhere actually. Yeah. This is not the kind of work that you go, you know, oh, this is what I'm gonna do in principle. And because I was so into acting and, uh, you know, I had so many other interests, nobody saw it coming. And, um, and it just happened like that. When I looked at myself, I was totally immersed in Egyptian dance. I was working in Egyptian dance. I was dropping projects of acting because I didn't feel interested anymore. I finished the conservatoire, but I was already moving to Egypt at the time. And um, it was a non-decision because, you know, life took me somehow. Everything happened so naturally and so fast. I didn't even realize it until later, you know, when you look back and I say, oh, my God, what happened? How did I end up here? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it was so fast and so unplanned. It was not thought, you know. Um, so this is how it started for me. Mm, wow, that's very interesting to hear. And uh, yeah, it's definitely belly dance is uh, not uh, the choice of profession on everyone's mind, like uh, from the beginning, although sometimes it can happen, but uh, typically it just grabs and holds us. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. It was like that with me, I can tell you. You uh, once, uh, although balladin sort of grabbed you and hold you <laughs> you mentioned once that you uh you are working or you were working and you're still working not in the egyptian dance business but but in a dream making business okay Can so this is a very interesting question look when I, I just mentioned that I, I went to Egypt many times for studying, but then eventually I moved to start my career. And that was not only a move for my career. It was a big dream that was born out of nowhere. So I cannot teach nowadays, and, and addressing your question, I cannot teach Egyptian dance without teaching people how to know themselves and how to feel what they want and who they are and how to go for it and make it happen. For me, these two things are linked. And, and they are linked for two reasons. They are linked because in my path, that's what I've been doing. You know, I actually went to Egypt, created my shows, picked my trip literally by myself, without contacts, without agent, without impresari, without manager, without anything. This is really mad you know, without knowing the language at the time, I built an old career from scratch by myself in an environment that is very threatening and an environment that is highly corrupted. And I made it in a way that made me proud, not only of my success in my work, but proud of myself as a person. Because sometimes what, what happens when you go to Egypt to start your career is that you may become famous or known 
but you don't like yourself that much anymore and you don't like the dance anymore because in order to become known, you do things you're not proud of and you do jobs you're not proud of and you work in conditions you are not proud of for the sake of the fame. I never did that. So I'm very, very proud and very aware of what it means to be successful in Egyptian dance, but at the same time, become a person that you really love, a person that has evolved into a human being that is, you know, more intelligent, kinder, more honest, uh, more confident, uh, pure in the heart, you know, making it happen professionally while growing as a person and achieving your dreams with this sense of dignity. This has been my path. So this is what I teach. The other reason why I link these two things, Egyptian dance and dream making, it's because when you really get into Egyptian dance, and I don't mean superficially, because there are many levels of Egyptian dance, as you can imagine, there is not only one level. And there are many markets in Egyptian dance. When you go for it, deeply, you understand that Egyptian dance is perhaps, from the tools that I know, the most powerful tool for self-knowledge and empowerment. It's the most powerful tool, I will repeat, for self-knowledge and empowerment. And self-knowledge and empowerment is exactly what you need to turn your dreams into reality. May that be in the dance field or outside of the dance field because the self-confidence that you need to be a great performer, let's say, it's the same self-confidence you need, you know, to go on a date with someone you're interested or, you know, to get yourself in shape or, you know, to achieve anything you want outside of the dance field. It's not a different kind of self-confidence. You know, when I speak about self-love, for instance, and I teach about self-love, I have all modules in the workshops and in my online school about self-love. I'm not only teaching you self-love for you to become a better dancer and make sure, you know, making sure that you know self-love makes you a better dancer. But self-love is also that is going to benefit you outside of the dance field as well. When we work on creativity, for instance, which is something I focus on in my teaching, so instead of just teaching you movements, everybody's teaching and teaching you choreographies that you're going to love, but that you're going to memorize and get stuck with. What I do is I actually develop skills to allow you to expand your movements, to expand your language, to create your style within the Egyptian dance style. That's called creativity. It's called independence. It's called intelligence. It's called resourcefulness. Those skills are going to serve you as a dancer, but they're going to serve you outside of the dance field, <laughs> obviously. So when I link Egyptian dance and dream making, I, I link them, you know, because they're so obviously connected to me, mm-hmm. you know, again, not only because in my path, this is what has been happening, you know, but also because Egyptian dance is connected with awakening your source of creative power awakening your resilience, awakening your strength, knowing who you are, who am I, what do I want? You know, when you listen to a piece of music, right? And you learn how to ask, how do I listen to this piece of music? It's not how my teacher listens. Even if my teacher listens in a very interesting way, I'm not saying it's not important, 
I'm saying is that you as a dancer must be able to learn the perspective of others, like your teachers, and discover your perspective. How do I listen to this music? What does it make me feel? What kind of memories, what kind of sensations, what kind of thoughts, what kind of universes this music arises in me? This kind of sensibility and self-knowledge is a tool for dream making. Because if you're not in contact with who you are and the way you see the world, the music, the movement, whatever, you don't even know what your dreams are. And this is what happens with most people I know. They don't even know. They just follow what everybody else is doing. Oh, everybody else is going out. Okay, so I'm going. Everybody else wants a house, big house. Okay, I'm going to have a house. Okay, everybody else wants a nice car, fancy car. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. Everybody else uh, uh, wants to be fit and they're doing yoga or they're going to this gym. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. If you ask most people, what do you really want? They don't know because they don't even ask themselves that. And Egyptian dance is a huge and very pleasurable way of putting you in contact with yourself in a way that you're really aware. It's not what others want. It's not what your parents want. It's not what your society wants. It's not what everybody else is wanting. It's what do you really want to feel happy? You know, what do you really want? I give you an example. I was in Egypt performing daily, intensively, for almost eight years. That That's a long time, especially when you're doing it, you know, you're managing everything by yourself. So it's a hard job. I'm managing my whole orchestra, my clients, my show, everything, everything. So it's, it's, it's wonderful, but it's really hard. And it came a time when I realized that stage, that cycle was over. And everybody was shocked starting with my musicians, when I told them, guys, I'm thinking about leaving because, and mind you, I was at the top of my success. So it wasn't like I was having a hard time. No, I was, you know, finally comfortable, you know, and smooth sailing. I I used to say people would come to my show, even if I went with my knickers on my head, you know, because once you prove yourself and people search for your name, because this is how it happens in Egypt. People start to search for your name. They go for you. They don't go for a random show. They go to Sijuana. They pay for a specific dancer. They know where, where you're performing and when you're performing. So it's very rewarding because you work so hard for this place of comfort, but suddenly I realize, okay, this is not my dream anymore. And everybody around me told me, you're really crazy. How come you've come all this way? You've worked so far. You have everything you wanted and now you're living? I mean, you're crazy. What's happening? And although everything around me was telling me to continue because I was in my comfort zone, you know, I I had the musicians I wanted. I was performing where I wanted. I had the conditions I wanted. I had full houses every night. What else? What else? You know? But I knew there was more and I knew that format, that dream had been achieved and it was over. And I didn't know exactly what would come next, but I knew that something fresh had to come in order to make me feel alive. And that is the kind of inner awareness and authenticity and truthfulness that you develop when you're deeply into the Egyptian dance craft. You really know yourself and you know, oh my God, this is over. 
it's not giving me joy anymore. It's, it's closed. It's a chapter that has been closed and now a new one has to be opened. This is the dream that comes from within, comes from self-awareness, self-knowledge. And Egyptian dance, if you really go for it, as you probably should, it, it will give you that awareness. It will give you that contact with your heart, that contact with your core, that makes you in love with the exterior world, but not depending on it and not so influenced by it. You know, like you're interested in the outside world, but the most interesting world is the one you carry within. And that's the one you're always going to go inside for answers. That's what Egyptian dance teaches you, you know, if you go for it on a deeper level. So there is no way I can separate Egyptian dance teaching in the more typical format dance, movement, steps, choreographies, history, culture, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's wonderful. It's very interesting. It's a world in itself. But what about all that and <laughs> these skills that make you a more powerful dancer, very unique, and a more powerful human being who can actually manifest the things you truly dream of? Mm. This is perfect. And it makes all sense to me. This is something that I personally had to hear, at least right now in this time of my life, <laughs> like closing one chapters and opening another ones. It's not only brave decisions yeah. sometimes to go for, for those success, because even the decision to move uh, or to go on your own to like Egypt or to move, that's already very brave. And some people would say yeah. uh, maybe not thoughtful or whatever, crazy, but then yeah. achieving success and closing that chapter and going for something else, that I think is more brave than uh, crazily yeah. going for success. But it just being more conscious. Honestly, yeah. like I have it right now so many thoughts and questions on my mind. <laughs> like I don't even know which direction to go from here. But um, it kind of feels that dance served for you as your personal search of happiness oh yeah and you kept repeating that dance is about you and your not i mean not you but you as a person and uh finding out your true desires true wishes uh, true thoughts but at the same time, uh, something was on my mind from the very beginning of our conversation. I was thinking to ask you, how much do you feel your acting skills helped you in your dance career? How, what is the balance between like being you on stage and being an actor on stage? Because we do have an acting element in dance performances too. Yeah. Okay, that's another very interesting question. But before I answer your question, let me give you just a final hint mm -hmm. on the previous issue, sure. which I think uh, is missing because I train a lot of professional dancers. So I, I, I train dancers on different formats and I have private online courses with professional dancers. I mean, owners of schools, people who have been in this business for longer than I am. So I know what goes in the mind of people from different countries and um, what is lacking. And I think in most professional dances, 
they're lacking a vision for their career. They set a small goal, which they think is huge. Well, when I moved to Egypt, I thought, oh my God, being successful in Egypt by myself, blah, 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 this is huge. And it was huge. But I knew it was not the end of my vision. I had a vision for my career, a long-term vision, which could be resumed to this. I wanted to know Egyptian dance in depth. This is why I moved to Egypt, by the way. I didn't move to Egypt because I wanted to be successful in Egypt. I moved to Egypt because I knew that the only way I could know Egyptian dance the way I wanted to know was by going there, researching, working, dealing with Egyptian musicians, with Egyptian mentality, with Egyptian culture, with Egyptian audiences, with Egyptian teachers, with uh, dealing with the language, you know, dealing with with personal relationships inside of the culture. I, I really wanted to go so deep that I would know the craft better than I know myself and then share the craft with the whole world. Because it, it was like, you know, discovering a jewel, something so beautiful and you want everybody to know it. You want everybody to see it. So I had a vision, which I still do. I still have bigger than each of the goals that I've been gathering around. Way bigger. Mm-hmm. So when I finish a chapter, I think, yes, oh my God, I'm finishing something that I started and I worked so hard for. But at the same time, there is a side of my brain that says, yeah, girl, but you're also working for the bigger plan, for the bigger vision. This was a stage of evolution. This was not the end. This was the beginning so if you have a vision of long-term vision of a higher goal, a bigger goal inside which you will enter these small goals, these beginnings and these endings will not be so hard because you know something else will come. Even if it's not clear in the moment, you know, and I, it wasn't clear at the moment when I felt this is finishing. I have to close this door. I'm way too comfortable. I'm not learning anymore. I'm not evolving anymore. It has to stop. Otherwise, I will become, like many of the dancers I saw around me, stale. They were not doing something interesting, something exciting. They were too comfortable. I I knew without knowing something else would come in my evolution and in the accomplishment of my vision, long-term vision. So it's very important to have a vision bigger than the small goals that you go achieving one after the other. To To have you have this perspective of, Okay, I'm closing this chapter, but a new chapter is coming. And this makes it smoother, okay? But if I just wanted yeah, to Yeah, yeah, that. that's very important and interesting topic. I just want to, to stay a little bit longer on this uh, now. Um, but if you're talking about small goals and that sometimes closing one chapter, it's not really clear what's coming next... How can we define then a bigger vision? I'm sure you probably didn't exactly imagine your life unfolding this way. I don't know. Then you just moved to Egypt. It was completely different thoughts. Yeah. Possibly or maybe not. But what for someone who maybe now like listening and in this frustrating situation of not feeling fulfilled by what they're doing, but at the same time it's like still working in dance and it we always feel like oh but i always dream about dance career it's here it's happening or at, yeah for whatever level for in whatever like little niche for everyone teaching performing whatever. yeah 
So, like, what do you mean by vision? Or, like, maybe you can give some tips and okay. tools for people so, to define it. Yeah, it, it's actually, it's very clear. And it's very simple, although also not very common. This is what you do. First, not everybody has a clear vision of what they want to achieve. So when I moved to Egypt, when I started performing, I would say from my fourth or fifth year into performing, I started thinking maybe one day I'll travel the world and teach everything that I'm learning because, you know, I was working with the best musicians I've ever heard in my life. I literally picked them from the street. I went to Haram Street, which is one of the oldest uh, entertainment streets in Cairo. Now it's very decadent, but it used to be like the Broadway of the Middle East, you know, in the 60s and 70s. And I, I went by myself into these awful nightclubs and I picked my musicians one by one the best, most inspired musicians I've ever heard. So I was learning so much and I eventually along the way I realized, hmm, I think one day I will have to teach everything that I'm learning because every day was a school. Every day I went to work, I was learning loads. And I said, oh my God, I have to teach this somehow, somewhere, you know, because it's so interesting, not only about dance, but about music, about the culture, about performing, about connection with the audience, about emotional expression, about discovering who I am through my dance and through my performances so much, you know. So gradually the idea, even if a faint idea that someday I would travel the world teaching and performing and lecturing, which I did after I left Egypt, it was starting to show up. Mm -hmm. lightly, you know, but in the horizon. I was also working with Mahmoud Reda, which, you know, for sure, he's the father of Egyptian folklore. And I started as a student and invited me to work as his teaching and choreography assistant. So I was performing at night and I was working with Mahmoud Reda during the day, teaching in Egypt and also outside of Egypt. So my first work trip outside of Egypt was actually teaching with Mahmoud mm -hmm. Reda. This is something that a lot of people don't know. And it's, it's something that honors me uh, greatly for many reasons. So Mahmoud was also telling me, you have to teach what you know. You have to teach what you're doing. I say, Mahmoud, how? I mean, how? I'm performing every day. You know, I'm teaching with you. I say, no, no. Eventually you have to have your school, Joanna, somehow. I say, no, no, my school, no, no, because I don't want to be stuck to one place. You know, I'm very gypsy. I like my freedom. I like to go and come as I please, you know, but there were like hints of what would come next. Now it doesn't happen, happen like this for everybody. Not always you have hints of what will come next. Not always you will have an idea of your next chapter. Not always. So if you don't, the first question you have to make, and is it's one that I do every day, it's instead of what do I want to achieve, you ask, how can I serve my art? This is such a simple question. And it's so powerful. How can I serve my art? What don't I like about what's happening in the Egyptian dance field? And how can I contribute to change it? This is very powerful. If you don't have a clear vision, or even if you have a clear vision, because as I said, I do this question to myself every day. And every time I create a product or I'm writing, you know, now I'm writing a new book. I have to ask myself always, is this serving my art? Or is this just, you know, me expressing myself? Because that's for a diary. That's not for a book. You see, there are things that give me pleasure that are not of public service. They are not of public interest. 
they're only of my interest. So art should be personal, but should also be universal. You know, when you dance, it's very personal, but if it comes from a point of wanting to serve your art, it will touch people. It will inspire people. It will connect. It will make them feel alive. It will make them feel free. It will make them, you know, feel their heart warm somehow. So it all, it's always a combination of me expressing myself and how can I serve my art? What don't I like? Which is a subject that now it's so common. You know, I, sometimes I enter Facebook less and less and less, but when I do, I'm, I see people complaining and a lot of the complaints are, are totally, I, I agree with them. I mean, I totally agree with this. It's not that there are unfair complaints or critics. They're fair and they're true. But the question is, what are you doing to change that? Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what your next chapter is, ask, what don't I like about Egyptian dance nowadays and how can I change that? How can I serve my art instead of serving myself? Because, you know, sometimes we get lost in ambition. Oh, I want to be this. I want to do that. I want to be known. Don't, don't care so much about wanting to be known. Do great work and you will be known for your great work. (laughs) You know, so being known is a consequence should be a consequence, should not be a goal because that's going to be a very superficial goal and it's going to go away fast. It's not going to be a long-term goal. Oh, I want to be famous. I want to be known. Oh my God, you're going to screw up. You are going to screw up if that's your goal. Your goal should be doing great work in a way that you feel will serve your dance, will serve your community in a way that along the way you imagine If I was part of Egyptian dance history, what would I like my contribution to be? Go and do that. And then you will be known for that. That, And that's how it goes. That's (laughs) so, so true. Once you stop making it about ourselves and about either art or audience or or community then it changes like i receive so many also questions on social media like oh i want to share like those videos and tips and my knowledge but i don't know how to reach dancers so they can hear me it's not about that if you want to share just share it the fact that maybe not many people right now know about it shouldn't be the defining factor to do it absolutely Look, I, I give you another funny example. So when I first uh, started my online school, um, the first platform, not the new one, I asked myself, what do people want to learn? Right. And because I'm an artist and I have a very strong character and identity, it's always a tr- tricky for me to understand what people really want because I have so much to give and I have a perspective which is so unique and so filled with information. It's hard to m- coordinate what the mainstream public wants with the contents I have to share. So my most successful courses were the ones I thought less interesting. The ones I knew were the most innovative, most packed with knowledge and important information and movement and and concepts were the ones that only the niche, a little niche of dancers were interested because only a niche of dancers are evolved. (laughs) 
unfortunately, this is the truth. But did I stop making those courses because only a niche of dancers were going to go for them? Hell no. I did them anyway because I knew this would serve my craft. I knew this would along the way make history. It's not the ones everybody wants. You know, I had a course on shimmies. I almost died. Really, I almost died because shimmies, okay, shimmies are a part of Egyptian technique, but they're not the jewel of the Nile. They're just shimmies. How can a course about shimmies technique be the, the most successful course in my school when I have Om Kulsum, Abdel Wahab, classical movement, Tarab, Baladi Lexicum, the, the Baladi Awadi, everything. Oh my God, I went crazy. I said, how is this possible that the less, the less interesting content that I'm sharing is the most successful? And it really makes you think, you know, but I do what I feel has to be done. And I leave the reaction of people to the people. You know, it's like just a few days ago, I was teaching a beautiful dancer from Argentina. She's a professional dancer. And she was telling me about, she was prepare, uh, talking about preparing a performance and how the audience reacted to an oriental dancer, you know, and somehow sometimes seeing the oriental dancer as an object, a sexual object, and how do I change that? And there is always two movements you have to consider as a dancer, a teacher or a performer. It's the movement from you to them and the movement from them to you. It's not the same movement. It's not the same. These are two different movements and you have to keep them separated, linked, co connected with each other, but separated. Your way of teaching or way, your way of performing should not be defined by what the audience wants because what the audience wants in this field is very, very little. Most people know nothing about Egyptian dance. They think, you know, Egyptian dance is just hoochie-coochie, exotic kind of striptease. That's what the mainstream public knows. You know, most students do love Egyptian dance, but they start with what? They start, you know, um, fascinated with the sparkling, the scarves, the coins, the, you know, the exoticism around it. They don't know much. So if you keep your best work from being done because you want to please everybody and you want to please an audience that doesn't know much about Egyptian dance. You're setting yourself for mediocrity. You may be setting yourself for fast business because if you sell what people want, even if what people want is not very evolved, then you will do business. You see, I mentioned the, yeah. the Shimi course. It was sold out. But if you ask me, is it the most interesting, most useful and most elevated way of serving my craft? No, it wasn't. It was a part of Egyptian technique, a detail. And there are so many that people tend to be very interested about because they want to shake like Shakira, you know. So instead of asking what do people want only, ask what can I give them? And what can I give my craft that will serve, that will add something of value? And then listen to them, of course. You know, very often I ask my students, what do you want to learn? What are you interested in? And I try to coordinate what I know will be of value to them to what they are interested mm -hmm. in. I try to coordinate. But if I have content that is very valuable and I know it's going to add something to the evolution of Egyptian dance, and I suppose... Not many people will be interested, but I'm going to do it anyway. 
I'll moving forward with it. You know, I'll be moving. I will be doing it anyway. You know, because it has to be done. Somebody has to do it. So I'm going to do it anyway. And it's done and I'm proud of it. So, you know, success, success in this field, and I believe in many other fields, but in the, in the field of Egyptian dance has so much to do with loving the dance. And this is something I learned from Mahmoud Reda so much because from everybody that I knew, you know, and I, I started with Nago Fuad, with Suhir Zaki. I, I was very lucky to catch this last generation of great Oriental dancers and study with them before they disappeared. And more than anyone, Mahmoud taught me what is genuine love for Egyptian dance. Here is a man, you know, of 80-something who was so in love with Egyptian dance after having conquered everything. He's part of Egyptian dance history. He was sponsored by the Egyptian government. You know, they went all around the world. They read the troupe in the biggest theaters. So he did everything, I mean. And he was genuinely in love and curious about Egyptian dance like a child. Like a child. And this is the kind of love you want to have for your craft and always ask, how can I serve it? And how can I serve its evolution? And if you do this question genuinely, and if you love your craft more than you love your vanity and your ambition, you will know what the next chapter is. You will create it naturally. It will not come as a big surprise, you know? Mm, this is so, so great. Thank you so much for sharing and going deep into this topic. Yeah, it's okay. It's, Ka it's a pleasure. Coming back to the question that we sort of left <laughs> <laughs> yeah. about balance okay. of acting and and real uh, like you on on stage. <laughs> How can you define so, this it? This is very interesting, you know, because yes, of course, acting has helped me a lot. Oh my god, a lot. Uh, for many reasons, you know, because also I'm nobody believes it, but I'm extremely shy. Nobody believes it. I know everybody laughs when I say this, but it's true. I'm very, very shy. I'm a very shy person. And before I started studying acting, I was even more obviously shy. I mean, I was so, you know, I, I was the student who never spoke in class. You know, I was always silent. I was a very, very bright child, but very silent, always learning and observing. And I always felt comfortable on the stage. But outside of the stage, I didn't speak a word because I was so shy. On the stage, no. But outside of the stage, very shy. So acting helped me first to become more self-confident and to overcome my shyness or at least to hide it. And that helps, of course, as a dancer. But also what acting taught me amongst many other things was to access my emotional memory luggage. This is a concept all actors are familiar with. You know, all of us carry like a luggage. Imagine a suitcase full of experiences, life experiences and memories and traumas and fears and hopes and fantasies and losses and pains and stuff we don't say anybody. We don't even speak about it. It's our internal emotional luggage. What acting allowed me to do, which I later brought to my performances, let's say, to my dance, was the ability to access that luggage and to bring it to the surface and use it. So when you're acting, what you do is you use that emotional luggage for characters. 
right? So you're studying a text and you can relate to the character. You're going to go into your luggage and say, okay, what do I have here that can serve this character? So you're going to bring genuine emotion. It's not pretending. Great acting as great dance. It's not pretending. Okay. So I want to make this clear. Great actors are not pretenders. It's true. They are, it's a little madness, but it's true. You access that memory or that emotion within you, which is true. It exists. And you put it in a context, which is not a real context. Let's say a context of a character or a scene right. between characters. But the emotion is true. And the same with dance. I'm never pretending. Never. Never. This is why I never perform a song that I don't like. And this is why I advise dancers never, never perform a song you don't feel emotionally connected to because then you have to pretend. Then you have to fake that you're feeling what you're not feeling. But if you choose a song that makes you feel something that is going to move your emotional luggage, it's going to steer your emotional luggage, then that music will awaken that emotional luggage. And what will come to the surface is real. It's not faking. It's not, oh, now I'm going to be sad. Uh, now I'm going to be happy. Ah, no. It's, it's, it's spontaneously, truthfully, a reality that you're living. You know, when I'm dancing a sad song, let's say, I am going to access that emotional luggage within me of sad experiences, of sadness. You know, this is why being an interesting person is so important to be an interesting dancer. And for actors too, you know. For the conservatoire, I'll give you an, a funny example also. You cannot apply for the conservatoire be before you're 18. And I actually asked why not. And they told me, before 18, you haven't lived enough to be an actor, even at 18, you don't have much life experience yet. So you become better as you grow because you gather more experience. You have lived more things. You have gathered more joyful moments. You have gathered more sad moments. You have gathered more emotional luggage. So you have more material to work with. So when I dance a sad song, let's say, even if I'm not sad at the moment, what happens is that sad song will awaken the sadness I have in my emotional luggage. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to connect with it through that sadness, which is real. It's inside of me. It's inside of everybody, <laughs> you know. So acting, yes, it did help me. It does help me enormously as a dancer, but not because I'm pretending or faking, because that's not what good acting is supposed to teach you. <laughs> you know, so acting obviously also uh, taught me um, about listening, which is another skill you absolutely need as a dancer. If you cannot listen, you cannot dance. This is impossible. And also it is such a, a frequent a misconception, you know, that dancers say, OK, I want to learn how to dance. Tell me what to do. I say, no, 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 no. Before you consider what to do, you stop and you listen. This is the first thing a dancer has to learn. You have to stop and to listen. The listening is the first step. Moving comes after the listening. You know, 
in my book, The Secrets of Egypt, I have something I call the three gates. I wrote about it in the book and then I, I developed it in in some of the courses for different reasons. The three gates of Egyptian dance. The first gate is your ears. Listening, just listening. Mm -hmm. It's the beginning of Tarab. It's the beginning of connection. It's the beginning of, of this dialogue, which is dance. Egyptian dance, it's a dialogue. You are co-creating with the music. You are co-creating with the sound. You're co-creating with the moment. You're co-creating with everything together. But you cannot co-create if you're not listening. You cannot dialogue if you cannot listen. You cannot answer if you don't listen first. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's no conversation without me listening. So for me to give you an answer, I have to listen to your question. It's the same with dance, okay? So what acting taught me as well was the importance of listening. Great actors know how to listen. Mediocre actors are so eager to do stuff. Oh, let me give you my line. You know, they want to give you the line. Okay, let me, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? This is a mediocre actor and this is a mediocre dancer. Great actors, great dancers, they ask, what do you have to tell me? Let me listen first. And then I'll go from there. I will react to that. I will create from that. I will create with that. Okay, so acting taught me how to listen. Acme taught me not to be ashamed of my emotions, of my dark emotions, which is another thing that unfortunately you don't see much in Egyptian dance and in all kind of dances, by the way. This is not only in Egyptian dance that we have this idea that in order to dance, especially perform, you have to be smiling all the time and, you know, very happy. <laughs> and this is fake. This is fake, you know, because we're not always very happy. We're not always smiling. And, and Egyptian music is so varied and it's so rich. You have sadness, you have joy, you have loss, you have hope, you have passion, you have lust, you have desperation, you have faith, you have smoothness, you have harshness, you have everything. So if you cannot access all this range of emotions and experiences, you're going to be a limited dancer and much more limited performer. So what acting taught me too was to be vulnerable and not be ashamed of my darkness. You know, those emotions that we don't like to admit we have or, or that we don't like to show in public, you know? So I have professional dancers asking, you know, preparing for performances, for instance, oh my God, but Joanna, but should I just show my sadness? Should I show that I'm feeling low? Yes, you should. Yeah. Yeah. If that's, if that's the subject of the song, if that's how you feel when you listen to the song, if that's your truth, when you listen to the song that you chose for your performance, yes, you should, you should express truthfully, whatever you are feeling with that song without filtering, without editing. Oh, I want to be a cute doll. I want to be smiling all the time. That's, that's boring. That's a lie that's boring and nobody will connect with that. No audience will connect with that. They will feel interested for a while because, oh my God, I'm going to watch a belly dancer and they're going to watch it for two minutes and look at their watch. Okay. So if you want connected audiences, give them truth, give them the truth. People like truth. Mm -hmm. Human beings connect with truth. So if you see a dancer who is truly living that music, Honestly, even if it's not always pleasant or even if it's dark, 
make sure you do that. Make sure you give them that truth and people will connect because we are attracted to truth. We are attracted to emotion, real emotion. We are attracted to authenticity and to the courage it takes to be vulnerable on a stage. Audiences are connected to that, you know, to your humanity. Being human is also being sad. Mm -hmm. Being human is also losing. Being human is also feeling dark and desperate and not knowing. And that's part of our human experience. When you're a dancer who's able to give that back to your audience, they feel, oh my God, she's free. She's so free that she doesn't mind that we see her for real. She doesn't mind that we're watching her be totally honest and totally open. This is beautiful. And it's so attractive. And it's so captivating. And this is how you catch your audience. It's not with lies. It's not with tricks. You will not catch them for long. And certainly you will not have them coming back for more, you know. Of course, you want to give people truth. You want to give people humanity. You want to give people moments where they feel, oh my God, she's really authentically being herself. And she's giving her heart to us without fear of judgment, without fear of us not liking her. That's so brave. That's so inspiring. That's so attractive. That's so beautiful, you know? So acting, you know, I could go on and on because acting teaches me so much about dance. Things are connected, you know, but I would say these are the most important things. Also, I would say just one more thing about acting that I, I certainly brought into dance. Acting taught me that performance is about connection. It's not about exhibition. So a good theater play or a good cinema scene or whatever is when, again, you're working from a place of truth. And because you're working from a place of truth, you connect to your audience instead of going like, oh, I'm going to show them my tricks and my <laughs> shimmies and my flicks and flax and how much I can do. You know, I'm going to show them this trick and I'm going to show them. Ah. This is coming from a place of I want to exhibit myself. So there is this separation. They are there and I am here and I'm going to show them what I know. But if you switch to I'm going to connect to them. I am going to speak with my audience without speaking. I am going to bring them along on this ride that I'm going to feel when I start the song until I finish it. It's like getting into the stage and say, hi, guys, here I am. You want to hop on this train with me? Let's go together. I will make you feel what I'm going to feel and I will make you see what I'm going to see and I will make you leave what I'm going to leave. You're coming with me. And this is connection. And once more, this is what works in the long term. You know, when I moved out of Egypt and um, I wondered, you know, are audiences different in different parts of the world? Because I was used to dance for Egyptians. You know, 99% of the time, my audiences were Egyptians. Egyptians were the people who booked me in the places where I was working. People booked me for Egyptians. So for many years, I didn't dance for foreigners which was great for many reasons. But once I started to travel outside of Egypt and imagine go to places like China or Japan mm -hmm. or, you know, 
and in big stages and without my orchestra also, which was a big drama for me. Oh my God, how can I now perform without my orchestra on my back? My question was, how can I still connect with these audiences? Because I was so used to this context of having Egyptian audiences on my face because they're, they're very close to you and having the musicians and blah, blah, blah. And now suddenly I'm in big stages and foreign audiences. They are distant from me. I'm dancing on a CD or even if I'm dancing with an orchestra, it's not my orchestra. They're not my musicians. So they don't have uh, my taste, my sensibility, my passion. They don't know me. And one of the things I found works everywhere, everywhere, independently of the conditions or the place or the culture you're going to perform to is putting the connection with your audience at the top of your priorities when you enter on stage. If you want to connect, if you want to bring that crowd into this experience with you, instead of putting yourself like, I'm so great, you know, I'm so beautiful and I'm so skilled and I'm so, I don't know what, and I'm going to show them, which is so boring. And it really doesn't work. Again, it works for two minutes. And this is why most gigs in Egyptian dance are so short. It's not because Egyptian dance is not interesting. It's because the performances are not interesting and dancers feel that people disconnect. So they're afraid of doing long performances. You know, in Cairo, my shows were at least one hour long. Most of the times me by myself. Sometimes I had dancers with me opening folkloric scenes or something, but most of the times was me and the orchestra only one hour. So I had to make sure people were stuck for one hour without losing interest. How do you do that? You do that by connecting to them. You do that by, of course, showing that you know your craft. Obviously, you cannot go on a stage doing whatever you want without knowledge of what, what you're doing. But if you know how to dance and you don't know how to connect, if you know the technique and the movements and the styles, but you are not dancing from a place of true emotion, you're not going to get a, a, an audience hooked for long. You're not. Okay, so this is something that works for every culture, for Egyptians, for non-Egyptians, because we're all human. And human connect to humanity. The more human you are as a dancer, the more you will have connection with your audience, the more they will be interested in you. Mm -hmm. This is what I've discovered. Wow. Uh, I can keep listening and listening and listening to your, to your talk because there is so much... Uh, uh depth and uh, and wisdom and touching those kind of topics that usually they are not very comfortable to talk about uh like openly uh but um this is very another very unique and interesting approach and view on acting as a part of performance is it what really we mean by acting this word like it made me review now and uh, rethink <laughs> my, my own approach in this and um, you also briefly mentioned your book and I know you have two books published and you are also working right now on some new work um, can you briefly tell people uh, of existing books what they're about what um, which one will serve uh, which of their needs and interests and dense needs and interests <laughs> and where mm -hmm. they can find them and uh, what kind of books to expect in the future. Oh, well, so 
you know, I, I will start with what kinds of books they will expect in the future. So I, you know, I believe that artists are artists and I, I don't like to be labeled. This is one thing that I've learned is that if you're a successful oriental dancer, but then you do other stuff, well, people think you're a weirdo, you're a freak, that you should only get into one label. You're mm. an oriental dancer, so you should not write, you should not publish. You cannot be a great choreographer and be a great teacher or be a great author at the same time. I mean, choose your label, you know, and this irritates me hugely because I believe we're creative and I will express myself in different ways, you know, as I please. And I, I don't accept labels. So I'm a teacher, I'm a choreographer, I'm a dancer, I'm an author, I'm an actress, I'm whatever I want to be. And I believe everybody is free to be whatever they want to be without limiting themselves to a label or to a shelf. Okay. So I have several projects for future books. I'm working on one right now, which is messages from the womb. This is a very uncomfortable book, very uncomfortable. It came from a series of videos that I started doing when I was in another transition from working around the world to creating my online school, to creating my own world. Um, and it was a book that was born in the center of Portugal in a little retreat inside of the mountain with no internet, not even network for my mobile. I mean, it was like hiding in the woods. So after I left Cairo and after I traveled extensively, I felt so tired and so overwhelmed by everything. You know, I've been living very fast for a long time and, and accumulating a lot of information for a long time and a lot of experiences. And I felt I needed a spot where I could, like a wild animal, you know, a place where I could hide in silence and nature, where I could be in silence and understand, okay, who am I and what do I want? And what is the information that I've been gathering in these years, not only in Egypt, but around the world in all these work travels that I really want to keep and share? And what is the information I want to destroy? What is the information that is not useful? And I'm talking about things I've learned and things I've experienced. So for me also, you know, the artistic and the personal sides, they're always linked with each other. I cannot separate my personal life from my artistic life because as I said, I move from my emotional luggage. So if you move from your emotional luggage, you're moving from your personal life. You're feeding your art with your life. There is no separation. Mm -hmm. So in this moment, I started to create in this mountain, in this place, um, nobody knows. It's really a little village with a, do a dozen inhabitants <laughs> with old people, you know, going to the church on Sundays and stuff like that. And I started to create a series of videos, which are messages from the womb. And now I'm writing the book based on that particular mountain, on that particular moment, and on those series of videos, messages from the womb. I have other books, including one that I have started. It's going to be like a fiction memoir telling the story of a dancer who has gone to Egypt mm -hmm. and it's kind of my Egyptian odyssey, but it's going to be in the format of fiction. 
So I'm going to explore characters and dialogues and places in a way that I haven't explored so far. And I'm not exploring in this book that I'm writing right now. So that's another one. And I have another book on Balladie as well <laughs> that I want to write. There's a lot of things that I want to write that are in my mind and they will happen. For now, it's the messages of the womb. And um, again, it's uncomfortable because it comes from a time when I had once more to understand what is really important. You know, from all the information that we gather, and nowadays there is so much information, right? There's so much available, not only about Egyptianness, about everything. Not all information is useful. And not all information is, is worth you keeping it. Not all everything that you learn. I had incredible things that I've learned from my teachers, for instance, and incredible things that I don't want to learn from my teachers. Mm -hmm. You always have to know what to keep and what to destroy, what to let go of. Learning is also unlearning. You understand? Learning is also yeah. unlearning. A lot of it is unlearning. So this book it really comes from this beautiful place. It's not that I was sad or anything, but I needed to isolate myself. I really needed to, um, you know, I was coming from Cairo and coming from big cities and imagine hiding myself in a mountain <laughs> <laughs> with only mountain and, and river in front of me, literally. It was a huge change and very drastic change, but I knew I needed to do that in order to understand what is the essential. It's like filtering, a process of filtering everything that you've been gathering and seeing what do I really want to keep and share with the world and what don't I need for myself or for others, mm -hmm. you know, and making that cleaning process, making that filtering process. It takes time, you know, it takes time and it takes clarity and it takes awareness and a lot of silence, you know, uh, in order to create the messages of the womb, the series of, of videos and now the book, I need silence, which is the opposite of my world, which is populated by music, you see. But yeah. in order to think clearly and understand what what do I really want to keep, then again, to serve my craft. Not just speaking for speaking or teaching for teaching or writing for writing, but I want to make sure that what's on the page is meaningful. And it will affect the reader in a meaningful way. In order to do what's meaningful, you have to filter. You, you have to go through this discernment phase of what matters and it, what, what doesn't matter, what is, you know, accessoire or plain bullshit. You know, you, you have to do this filtering. So this is what I'm working now. I have The Secrets of Egypt, mm -hmm. which was the first one. The Secrets of Egypt, Dance, Life and Beyond. This was coming from a course I was teaching in London. So a lot of the things that I was teaching here and there in my workshops around the world, dancers were asking me to concentrate on a course. So I would teach them technique and choreography, you know, because I go through different styles. So sometimes I teach folklore, which I learned from Mahmoud Reda, of course, and, you know, baladi, oriental, classic, modern, tabla, shabi, mm -hmm. whatever. And in between, I would teach them skills and very specific things that I've learned in Egypt that nobody else was teaching them. So they said, 
continuously you have to create a course only about this Mm -hmm. things you know and i say yeah but it's hard for me because these things come spontaneously those are things that i've assimilated gradually without even noticing and suddenly i realize oh yeah nobody's teaching this how come okay so i created a course that i taught in london that i called the secrets of egyptian dance about those skills and aspects of the dance nobody else is teaching and the first book, The Secrets of Egypt, came from that course. So students asked me to to write about it because I gave them just a little guide for the course. And they told me, write more about this. This is so interesting. So I started writing more about it. And when I realized I had a book in my hands, and it's a book I'm really proud of. It tells you in a funny way, but again, very truthful way. I'm very open. You know, the things I share with people some of them related to my career, some of them related to my private life, are things that actually happened. They they happened. And I share them because then again, I believe they will be inspiring or empowering for the reader. I, I don't share them just for sharing. I share them because I know that by sharing, a lot of people will know they're not alone in their difficulties. They're not alone in struggling for a dream. They're not alone in finding obstacles when they want to do something. They're not alone. You're not alone. So when you open up and tell people the truth, you also empower them. You make them feel we're all connected and success doesn't come without challenges. It doesn't come in a straight line, you know? Yeah, not for you, not for anybody. So when you do know that, you're more prepared to face things as they come. You're more skilled, you're more confident. And that's what I want people to get from that first book. Aside from, again, those aspects related to dance that um, that I was teaching in the course, aspects like the three gates that I mentioned, that comes from the book, aspects like the invisible dance, for instance, which my students had never heard about. And even today, you know, every time I speak about this, people think I'm crazy. I say, what invisible dance? Yeah, of course, you know. Because Egyptian dance, it's what you see and it's what you feel. It's the energy you exhale. It's your presence, what people call charisma. (laughs) You know, it's charisma, it's energy, it's what you project on an energetic level that is received. It is not seen, but is received. It's the emotion. Emotion is energy. You cannot see emotion, but you can feel it. Mm -hmm. Right? It's imagination. That's also part of Egyptian dance. It's imagination. Nobody can see in principle what you're imagining, but it's it's defining the way you move. You know, concepts like stillness, the importance of stillness, which now is trendy. But when I spoke about it, when I wrote about it in 2013, because this first book is from 2013, nobody was teaching dancers how to be still. It was the opposite. Everybody was telling them, do more, do faster, add one more movement, Mm -hmm. do one more trick. And I was going totally off, off this trend. I said, no, 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 stop. Don't add, simplify, take away, do what, what is true. Do the movement that is the true movement. Don't do just for doing, just because you want to show, you know, stuff. That's not clever. That's not art, you know? So this first book was a mix of insights into the things that nobody was teaching into the Egyptian dance technique uh, universe and also 
sharing the experiences that led me to that knowledge in a way that empowers people to go for their dreams. And again, to believe that it's possible to achieve things and to use obstacles and challenges in your favor. I'm not saying they're easy or cool. I'm not saying that. I wish things were smooth and easy all the time, like everybody, but they're not, but they're not. This is reality. So if they're not, it's useful to know that other people have made it facing obstacles, facing challenges, and they've made it anyway. And they made good things out of those obstacles and challenges. And you can do too. Okay. The second book, which I published recently, a few months ago, um, is also, it's, it's very unusual and it was not planned to. It's a collaboration with a, a Slovenian photographer, um, Breda. Her name is Breda Jureku, very talented, very talented photographer. She photographed me before in shows that I have given in Slovenia several times and we'd never met. I'd seen her pictures of me on stage mm -hmm. and I love them, but we never met. And um, two years ago, I went to Slovenia for another uh, event with Mazikate Orchestra, very nice guys, very nice um, orchestra, very professional. Um, and I told her, we met at night for the first time, and I told her, why don't you photograph the rehearsals and the backstage? Because everybody photographs the show, but there is so many interesting things that go on backstage with the dancers, you know, with the musicians, in the rehearsals, I speak for myself. I'm very um, expressive, as you can notice. So when I speak with musicians, I'm very expressive and I speak Arabic so I can tell them exactly what I want. So she wanted to photograph me performing. I said, yeah, that's cool, but photograph what usually is not photographed. So photograph me rehearsing with the musicians, me and other dancers and whoever you want, mm -hmm. but do the backstage, do the backstage. That was the idea. And initially she was a little reluctant because then again, she thought this is not going to be interesting. Who, who cares about the backstage? But she agreed and she did so. And um, we wrapped the event. She started sending me the photos and I randomly selected a few that I really loved. And I wrote in the moment, you know, I wrote texts in the moment mm -hmm. and I started gathering texts with the photos she was sending me. And then I realized I had a book with texts that are connected to performing, to the inner world of artists, <clears throat> to vulnerability, to love, to stage, to connection, to humanity. So you'll find very different texts <clears throat> inspired by different photos in one single book. Mm. Okay, that's behind the curtain. And uh, they can find both books. I have them self-published. I I can share my blog for now because I have a new website coming. But the blog www.juanasaidaworld.com. They will find all information on how to get the books if they're interested. And both of them are very inspiring for dancers of of all levels. They will tackle different sides of Egyptian dance and the experience of being a dancer in this field. But I believe both of them will inspire and interest everybody who's into Egyptian dance. 
I believe for all the answers who haven't read those books, they are now on the list of must-reads ASAP. <laughs> and, yes, and I, will I, I hope so. And I will definitely... Especially, you know, especially the first one, The Secrets of Egypt, because that's more directly connected to dance. Uh, the second one, Behind the Curtain, is a little bit wider. I would say it's more for a general audience even, and it's more subjective. The Secrets of Egypt is certainly, and, and I, I recommend it not because it was me who wrote it. I recommend it because it will really give you a completely different perspective on Egyptian dance, and it will, you know, open you to, oh, this is much more than just a bunch of steps and fancy, cool choreographies. Oh, my God. You know, it will make you think of Egyptian dance in a different way, for sure, for sure. So I recommend that one, as I recommend many other books which were not written by me, uh, to the dancers. I believe that's education and that's part of making you a better dancer. Mm, that's so true. And I will definitely add the link to the show notes. So for all listeners, you can just uh, click on the show notes, go to Joanna's uh, blog and find all information. Uh, about her activities, about her books, as well as about your online school, which you referred a lot during this yeah. uh, interview. Yeah. And this is a relatively like new project because you are yeah. reviewing it now. And the courses that I saw, I'll just scratch a little bit. They are not very typical topics. It's uh, more about those things that are uh, typically a lot of teachers they say they're not taughtable <laughs> but yeah. you are actually trying to teach them so uh if you want anything to add specifically about your courses please feel free but also the link will be in the show yeah notes. you know yeah you, I, I would be thankful if you'd share the information but i think the most interesting thing to say you know about the online school first of all this is one of those evolution phases that I was mentioning before. You know, this is one of those steps that are very uncomfortable because I'm not a technological person. So uh, when I thought about creating an online school, I had a huge difficulty, which was the technical part for me. It's not the contents. It's not the contents that is the problem. It's the technical part. Mm -hmm. How can I make this happen? You know, because unlike many other dancers who are great with technology, I'm not. <laughs> Strangely enough, I am really not, although I deal with technology a lot. And the school, you know, was born, and I have to give credit to Mahmoud Reda again. And this for me is the most interesting information about the school, mm. even, you know, independently of the courses, which are indeed very unique um, and um, taught in a way that is very unique as well. But once I was considering uh, to teach or the first um, the first uh, opportunities for teaching, let's say, were given by Mahmoud Reda. And the first idea of a school of my own was given by Mahmoud Reda. So when Joanna Saira's online dance school shows up, the credit comes initially from Mahmoud Reda. I have to give him credit for that. And I would give him credit for many other things um, if we talked about, you know, influences or, or teachers who are um, essential in my path. So what the school represents is not only an idea that comes from a genius, a creative genius, and a teacher that I respect deeply. But 
it's also a school that is innovative in its goals and concept. Not only am I teaching the technique and the choreographies and the history and the culture within the Egyptian Oriental and folkloric dance styles, but I am mixing those personal development parts, those personal development issues that nobody else is teaching, and I love it. And I love to see the results it has on people's dance, on a lot of dancers' careers that take off after they take my courses. And it really takes off and it gives me so much pleasure, you know, because, again, it's empowering. When I say self-empowerment, I mean it. This is not a marketing thing. It's a real word that means something. So my online school, you know, was born out of Mahmoud's idea or his insistence on me having a school, which I was resistant for a long time, but also to creating a school that being online could be enjoyed by everybody. So it's not location limited. You know, I don't have to travel for a certain country to teach people for a weekend. They can have me and my teaching always anywhere in the mm -hmm. world. And combining this authentic Egyptian dance, and I mean authentic, from the level that we've been speaking about right now, okay? Mm -hmm. It's not, uh, it, it is not the hoochie-coochie bullshit. It's the real deal. And self-discovery and empowerment. So when we talk, for instance, about the new course that will open the new online school, How to Become Essential Baladi Goddess, I'm combining Baladi technique and choreography and culture and history with sensuality and womanhood. And I'm going to work these three themes together simultaneously in a way that by the end of this course, students will not only have a full choreography or technique, they will have a full choreography, technique, awareness of what it means, a baladi, a wadi, what it, what it means, baladi, but also they will have tools and skills to dance and live from a sensual place, more pleasurable place, more joyful place. They will have tools and skills to know what it means to be a woman, what it means to dance and to live from a more feminine perspective that will bring you more abundance, more creativity, more love, more life. This is huge, you know, and it's something completely new that really stretches even my own perceptions of what teaching means. Because in order to make this happen, I really have to go out of my comfort zone and, and the, the format that I'm used to teach, which is workshops, you know, with a bunch of students in front of me with a mirror. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so even for me, this is pushing the boundaries. It's, it's not something that is comfortable for me. I'm pushing myself as I push others ahead. You know, so it's so, 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 so exciting. So exciting. I'm very proud of it and, and um, you know, thrilled and uh, a little fearful again because I'm entering into new territories as well and finding new ways of teaching and new ways of connecting with my students and making things happen for them. You know, again, my question is always, how can I make this happen for them? You know, when I promise at the end of this course, you will lead a more sensual life. What does that mean? What does that mean? You know, and how can I make it happen? Mm. Because one thing is saying that you're going to do it. The other thing is creating a course 
having the goal already achieved in mind and how can I make it happen for you? How can I give you from my side all the tools I can give you so that this that I'm promising will actually happen? Hmm. And this is very exciting. <laughs> well, I am looking forward to, to seeing uh, not only this course, but like how your online school will grow and uh, develop in the future. I kind of feel uh, I'm very thrilled to see that vision uh, for now, maybe hidden oh, yeah. vision in the reality. Um, sounds very yeah. exciting and interesting. And... Uh, before we sum up our interview, I just want to thank you once again for taking taking your time and being here, being present, being with us and sharing your uh, knowledge and your experience and so much uh, inspiration uh, for so many dancers who are listening uh, uh, right now. And uh, I'm absolutely sure that everyone could have related at least to one part of this conversation in the very deep personal level at least to one aspect of it if not to all uh, but thank you so much for for being here uh, You're today welcome. with us <laughs> thank you too for the invitation and for creating the podcast and for your very uh, professional very loving way of dealing with your work which is obvious to me <laughs> and i appreciate you for that Thank Publicly. you. Thank okay. you so much. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah. And we have a tradition uh, to summarize every episode with our signature question of the podcast. And the question okay. is, um, it's kind of wide, but uh, you can interpret it as as much as you want. And we partially talked about it in the interview, but it's a great way to summarize it anyway. So the question is, what makes you fall in love with ballet dance? again and again so you keep doing it for so many years mm -hmm. okay um you know i i think that as it happens with all of relationships there is a side of it you cannot explain okay so there is a side of it which is very mysterious and it's not rational and you cannot pinpoint. I mean, can you pinpoint why you fall in love with a certain person and not with another? You know, certainly that person has qualities that you recognize, but there is a side of love and passion which is very rational, very mysterious, and we cannot really know why. Why this person? Why not that? Why this area? Why not that? We don't know. So taking aside a mystery part... Okay. There are two, two things that I think perhaps are the ones that make me fall in love more today than I was in the beginning, mm -hmm. which is a huge thing to say, you know, because, you know, as I mentioned to you in Cairo, I would say it, uh, in the international market, I only had good experiences mostly. But in Cairo, I had experiences that could have destroyed my love for Egyptian dance. Really. So it's amazing knowing that. How, how do I come to this point and say, I love it now more than I loved it when I first mm -hmm. started and I knew nothing. So that, that says a lot. And one of the things that makes me fall in love again and again as a teacher is the way it can change a person's life. Although I'm, I'm a very happy performer, so I love the stage. I'm also a very happy teacher. I love seeing my students shine. 
I love it. It gives me genuine pleasure to see people success and bloom. You know, it is not threatening or competition oriented to me. It's something that it's, it's almost like I leave their success and their expansion through me. And I have my own thing going, you know what I mean? So I, I don't feel, um, I don't feel afraid of teaching dancers who are in my field, I would say, you know, how to be successful. I want them to be successful. In the moment I accept teaching you, I have to give you my best. Otherwise, you know, if I don't want to teach you everything or if I don't want to give you my best or if I, if I want to keep the best part for me, I will not teach. I would be just a performer and that's it. So I think that if you're a teacher, you have to give your best and you have to have the interest of your students in your highest priority. Okay. So that really gives me pleasure is how Egyptian dance, when it's properly taught and taught in a way that is, as I've been speaking about, you know, all inclusive and tackling different sides of the person and different sides of the dance, it can really change. It can color your life. It can bring so much awareness, so much joy, so much pleasure, so much love, so much heart opening, so much mind opening. It, it can improve your life in so many ways. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful to see people blooming with it. Not only repeating choreographies, but actually blooming. This gives me incredible, incredible pleasure. And it, it really makes me fall in love with it. You know, seeing what an incredible tool it can be for people's lives. Another, another reason I love it. It's just because I love it. <laughs> I don't know how to explain. Yeah. I just I just love I just love doing it. So, you know. And it comes very natural. Again, it comes very natural to me. So, I just feel happy when I'm dancing. That's it. And also because Egyptian dance being a language of self-expression has infinite possibilities. So this is another misconception that I go totally against, which is this idea that in order to learn Egyptian dance, you learn a certain number of steps and movements and you're done. And this is Egyptian dance. This is not true. The steps and the movements that you are taught are the starting point. Starting point. From there, you're going to discover your own movement your own expression, your own combinations, your own ways of doing things, your own patterns, your own language. And that is something that you keep on doing and doing and doing and doing, and it's never done because creativity is infinite and our sources of inspiration are changing all the time and we are changing all the time. So if I choreograph a piece today, and if I choreograph the same piece within a month, I will do something completely different because I will be a different person. I will be in a different mood. Different things have happened. You know, I will listen to it differently. So there is this potential for infinite creativity and infinite expansion of your self-expression in Egyptian dance. You use the basis that everybody else is teaching, more or less, but then you go on this discovery ride. What can I do from this? 
How can I grow from this base? How can I create my language from this language that has been taught to me? And this question is never answered because, again, you're always evolving and you're always going to have different ideas and you're always going to have different movements and you're always going to have different ways of doing things because you're constantly changing. You're constantly accumulating new information and new experiences. So this is like a never ending process of growth. And this makes you more humble. It makes you more self-confident, but at the same time, more humble. The more you know about Egyptian dance, the more self-confident you are and the more humble you are because you understand, oh, okay, I'm just starting. No, no, you're not just starting. It feels just starting, you know? And the more you know, it more, it more, the more it feels you're just starting because you see how much it can be done in terms of movement and self-expression, you know? And depth of emotion, how much more can I open my heart when I'm dancing? You know, how much more truthful can I be? How many more new movements and combinations can I come up with that express that music efficiently in an interesting new original way? These questions are never answered. And so, you know, it's never like you're done. You're never done. Never done. You're always growing. This is why, you know, great dance masters are eternal beginners. They understand that there is always more, 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 more. And, and the opposite also, you know, very ignorant dancers in the beginning, like I was, I thought I knew everything <laughs> when I started and I was doing bullshit, you know, <laughs> but I thought I was fantastic. Um, oh my God. You know, and the more you actually know, the more you see Oh, there's so much more to do. There is so much more depth to explore. There is so many more movements to go for. There is so much more creativity I haven't explored yet. And this is, you know, beautiful. Last, last reason and perhaps the most interesting and the less talked about and the most polemic as well. Egyptian dance carries this sensual, sexual energy within it that is yet to be understood. And it's undeniable. Of course, many of us, you know, will try to deny it sometimes with good intentions to respect dance and to present it in a way that people don't think badly of, of it. But there is still a side of Egyptian dance which is connected with sacred sexuality that has not been tackled correctly. It has not been uh, explored yet and understood. And I'm totally willing to go into it and I'm doing it gradually and it fascinates me. It really fascinates me. And it makes me question everything about the dance, about myself, about life, about what it means to be alive, about, you know, intimacy, about so many subjects that are not limited to the Egyptian dance realm that go way beyond it. Mm. So I would say that's, the the last main reason that makes me, you know, um, fascinated by it, not only loving it, but really, hmm, you know, hmm, I'm interested, oh, wondering, you know, wondering, hmm, I didn't understand yet this, or I didn't go as deep as I thought I had gone, you know, there's always more layers, more, the more you understand, the more layers you see to explore, it's never ending, and it it keeps you hooked, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Thank you for for bringing light on all this. It's 
it's really i think a lot of th we only scratched <laughs> the surface of all topics and subjects and i feel like we could have talking like hours and hours and hours more because this is just like such a small thing or part of the things that uh, you explore and share and uh, in any case i'm very happy we started the conversation and hope you'll have uh, the continuation <laughs> at some point soon and wishing you good luck with your uh, current transition into a new chapter and developing Thank new you, projects yeah. and looking forward to seeing everything in real uh, real life soon <laughs> thank you for you too everything good for you success and joy and happiness in everything that you do thank you thank you for listening everyone i hope you enjoyed this episode and if so do you know the best way to support this project is to share it with your friends it takes a few seconds, costs you nothing, but it helps a lot to move this project forward and help me to bring more awesome guests on the podcast in the future. You can tell your friend, you can send a message, email, you can screenshot and put a, a post on social media, whatever works better for you. But if every one of you will share this episode at least with one more person, it will make a huge difference for this podcast. Thank you for spending your time with us, for your support and love. And until next time, keep shimming, keep dancing, and I will see you soon.